Welcome to Body Signals, a Signos podcast. I'm your host, Bill Tanser, Chief Data Scientist here at Signos. This is Season 4, Episode 10, Stress, Polyphenols, and What Came First, Bad Sleep or Glucose Dysregulation. Today, we've got a special guest, Karen Kennedy. Karen is a certified nutritionist, an integrative and functional nutrition practitioner, and National Diabetes Prevention Program Lifestyle Coach. On this episode, we'll discuss how stress affects glucose response and how we're all different, stress mitigation techniques, what came first, poor sleep or glucose dysregulation, berberine and ACV for glucose control, and the importance of adding polyphenols to your diet. This and so much more. Welcome back to Body Signals. First, I'm thrilled to have our co-host, Alyssa Wilson, back. I wore a Florida Gators shirt in her honor. Alyssa, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. So glad to be back. Yes. And we've got a special guest. Our guest is Karen Kennedy. She has an MS in nutrition, is board certified with the Integrative and Functional Nutrition Academy. She's a certified nutritionist in the state of Washington and also a certified National Diabetes Prevention Program lifestyle coach. Karen, welcome to Body Signals. Thanks, Bill. It's good to see you, Lisa. Good to see you, too. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we are so excited to talk to you about CGMs because, as I understand it, you use CGMs a lot in your practice. And, of course, Cygnos is all about CGMs and glucose data. But before we start, I have a question I love to ask nutritionists and dietitians. And it's what happens to a nutritionist and dietitian in a social setting when someone invites you over to their house for dinner. Do you find that they hide all of their foods? Well, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not allowed to say good and bad foods anymore, but they're sometimes foods. Do you find that they clean up their pantry or maybe make the, the menu a little bit healthier than they would if you weren't a nutritionist? I think people just don't invite me over for dinner as much because of that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's funny you should bring this up today because I like having people over for dinner and I'm, I'm of the, I take the approach, give the people what they want in social situations. But one of my favorite holiday festive, um, bring people together meals is a fondue party. And so we're having some good friends over tonight, actually, for fondue. My husband is Swiss, and I love making a big pot of fondue with all the crusty white bread and vegetables, potatoes to dip into it with a big salad and wine. So So you're going to sneak your vegetables in in terms of the carrots and other things? I actually do sneak a fair bit of vegetables into fondue, and then I have a great fondue soup that I make if there's any leftover cheese and vegetables and potatoes. It all becomes a big soup the next day. And maybe even a glass of wine to get those polyphenols in, which that's we'll right. Talk about. So I like to set this precedent that dinner parties are for fun, and we don't. It's a, yeah, we're not the food police. I'm right? not the food police, unless you're paying yes. me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's a little scary. So, holiday meals, having people over to me, that's stressful. And I've noticed something with my glucose data. 
that when I get stressed, like for some reason, even though we've done a lot of these episodes uh, of Body Signals, I always get like a little bit stressed before starting a recording. And I'm looking at my glucose right now, which is starting to ramp up. And I know that you are telling us, you too, (laughs) Alyssa, especially she gets even more nervous than I do. I always get nervous and I can see it in the data right now. Yes. It's it's so amazing. But question we had for you, we talked about this um, when we did our pre-interview, you, you've noticed connection between stress and glucose. I wonder how you handle that with, with your clients. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, we're all wired so differently. And I think I even remember a long time ago reading a paper on, on rats and their stress responses. And then when you get in the laboratory, you'll get purebred animals for research studies. And certain, for certain varieties of rats were much quicker to, you know, to, to go on alert. Their, their nervous system was, was geared to be on alert and to react in a very stress in a very stressful manner and other rats you could open the door and surprise them and they'd be like whoa dude hey what's going on you know they're just much more chill and we i see that in a similarity in glucose response that some people either because of the way they're genetically wired or because of past experiences and trauma some people's stress responses are more extreme and some people's glucose response to stress more extremely than others. So do you find that for some of your clients, that's not a problem? Maybe you have a set of clients that do get stressed, but you're not seeing it in their glucose data where others get stressed and you do? Yes. Oh, 100%. That's fascinating. For example, um, one of the groups I was doing a while back, um, one of the people in it I'm thinking specifically is a doctor and he, um, and he said he, I was looking at his glucose data and I said, well, that was a, that's a good day. Look at that day. Your glucose levels are good. Tell me about that day. And he said, that was a really stressful day. I was on the go all day long, but as a result, he wasn't snacking and things and his blood sugar looked good where I have other people who, you know, when I look at their diet, you know, without the glucose meter, when I look at their diet, it looks really good. And I would predict that based on their diet, that they would have really good glucose control. But they don't because their baseline levels of glucose are are elevated and they and they just can't get it down below like 115. And we find and we come to find after a little bit of asking what's going on that they have a lot of stress in their lives and that stress despite having a very good diet appropriate for blood sugar their stress is what's keeping their blood sugar levels high. Wow. I, I'm going to devote a whole series of episodes to this topic of stress and glucose because it does come up a lot with our uh, our members in our Facebook group. But I wonder, from your practice, are there certain stress mitigation techniques that you recommend? And I would love for you to tell us about like what you found works the best to help people that have that stress-glucose connection keep their stress and, as a result, their glucose down. Yeah. You know, it depends. It has to fit into their life and address their stress triggers. But the first thing that comes to mind when you ask me about a specific technique is one of the women who falls into this category of that her baseline is always kind of around 115 and her meals just, they don't cause that much of a deviation in glucose. 
levels. I, but we know that stress is a big thing for her. So she was wearing a CGM. And I recommended to her that she try um, a relaxation practice after work because her work is really stressful. And it and so, you know, in the afternoons, why don't you do this one stress reduction exercise that I like? And it's a yoga pose. It's called, in the yoga terminology, it's called Viparita Karni, which is basically putting your legs up the wall, you know, elevating the pelvis, elevating the legs, putting an eye pillow over and setting a timer for 10 minutes. Let me let just so uh, we can draw the the image for our listeners. We also have some videos coming up on YouTube, and uh, for that, maybe I'll actually throw up a diagram of this. But are we are we talking about the your butts up against the wall with your legs straight up, or are you elevating your hip as well? Your butt like, up against like the stand? wall, and okay. the butt is elevated just a little bit, which actually takes will take me to the next point. With yeah, a cushion, a, or are you like are you just? Okay. Cushion, okay. Got it. Like three or four inches. Okay. Interesting. Pelvis is up a little bit. Legs are elevated. But the biggest part for relaxation is, of course, just just laying there for literally ten minutes. And I can't remember the exact number, but she showed us. And during that process, her blood sugar dropped about twenty points. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I can relate to this client because I've noticed like after wearing the CGM um, and like periods of very stressful times for me, my my glucose is elevated and like I'm eating my, you know, like my healthy meals and it's just like my baseline is higher and I I can feel the stress and it's hard for me to bring that down. Um, And I'm not seeing a huge change in glucose from my meals, but just getting that baseline lower is, is difficult. So that is something I may have to try. Yeah. I encourage all of our members to try that. And, and again, what was the name of that yoga pose? Just in case people want to look it up. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but it's Viparita Karani, V-I-P-A-R-I-T-A-K-A-R-I-N-I. And the, and your, your suggestion is for how long again? 10 minutes. Just 10 minutes. And do that at what point in the day? After work, as sort of as that the transition time between the busy time to the more relaxed time, so either before dinner or after dinner. And I've been recommending this specific practice for years. And in fact, I remember a group I was doing like during, around 2020 online. We it was a group we were trying to improve sleep strategies to improve sleep and doing that in the afternoon evening time was a one practice that actually helped improve people's sleep. Mm. And I thought, Oh, because I also noticed it helps people with binge eating, you know, all the things that come with that stress and kind of stressy feeling in the evening. But then in another, um, in that same group, I had a doctor who's, um, who, Oh, he worked, he's a nephrologist um, you know, works with people with kidney issues and he's on, he's a hospitalist. So he's up, up on his feet all day and his input, he tried that. And he noticed that he usually has to get up and use the bathroom a couple of times a night. And of course thought, well, that's age for you. But he found he didn't have to as much when he did that. And he realized that what it was, was the fluid was collecting in people's legs, his legs, and the first time you actually level out that so that you can get the venous return of all that fluid back to your kidneys and excrete it, 
the first time that happens for most people is usually bedtime. But by doing it in the afternoon or mid-evening, it gives your body a chance to get those, that fluid out so you don't have to wake up and pee in the middle of the night. Uh, and it might have a profound effect on those people like your client who are up on their feet all day. I imagine mm-hmm. that's the ones that are really going to get the benefit. But I think mm-hmm. maybe we can all get the benefit of this. It's so interesting you mentioned that. I've changed my uh, stress reduction practices based on one of our experiments. We actually noticed anecdotally, we had a very small experiment where we were uh, just testing um, oatmeals and our VP of product had two very different responses to the same bowl of oatmeal. One, she was nor- she was relaxed. I think her husband was dropping her- their kid off. And then the next day she was, uh, had to get her kid ready for, for daycare. And, um, she noticed a really dramatic response in her glucose because she was so stressed. Mm-hmm. So now I've changed my, uh, my meditation practice to my meditations right before meals because um, I'm, I'm thinking maybe that will help reduce any stress-related spikes to the meal if I can get my, um, my body to, to relax a little bit before eating. Mm. And how's that working for you? It's working. It's working, and I, I notice that it's actually more pleasurable to eat relaxed than stressed. You enjoy your meal more when you're relaxed. So right. I found that that's been... Um, if nothing else, I'm I'm getting a quality of life benefit from from doing that. And it's nothing more than like just ten minutes of meditation before each meal. Nice. Yeah, well, uh, you mentioned. Oh, go ahead. Different. Yeah, I mean, just it increases satisfaction with your meal too. You enjoy it more. You get to like eat in that rest and digest mode. Your body can properly digest and absorb that what you're eating. You know, instead of eating in that stressful state, where a lot of the times that we don't even, we're done with the meal. We don't even realize we've eaten, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's something that is a great, that is a great tip, you know, for our listeners to so just really try and eat in that rest and digest mode and sit down, eat slowly, chew your food thoroughly and, and enjoy the meal. Most importantly. Mm. That's actually the second most common piece of stress reduction advice, because I don't like to say, Oh, you just need to reduce your stress. Because that's just as annoying a thing to say or hear as, well, you just need to lose weight. You just need to reduce your stress. So it's nice to give people actual things. And because a lot of my clients, they don't just have blood sugar issues. It's there's some digestive things because we're stressed um, is I'll give them a really solid recommendation to do something like box breathing or the four, seven, eight breathing for five to 10 rounds before a meal. Because as you know, um, what is it that, you know, you can actually re- reduce the blood flow and your ability to digest food by about 50% by being stressed. So you can use some of these breathing practices that, you know, that no one knows you're doing it. You can just be sitting there, you know, doing, you know, five rounds of normal breathing um, and start reducing your stress levels, shifting into that parasympathetic rest and digest mode that Alyssa was talking about. Yeah, absolutely. We'll put some links to those breathing techniques. I know there's some good YouTube videos that cover box breathing and a couple of other of the the top breathing techniques, but another great way to just quickly reduce stress. You you mentioned sleep and I know Alyssa had a question about sleep and glucose. Yeah. I mean, this, this may be one of the, one of the main topics that our members 
notice when they first put on the CGM or, you know, one of the big trends that they're looking at is what's going on during their sleep. And I would just love to know in your experience when it comes to glucose, is it that poor glucose dysregulation leads to poor sleep or is it that poor sleep is leading to poor glucose dysregulation during the day? Yeah. What are you noticing with your, the answer is yes. We were afraid you were going to say that. We're going to force you to pick which one is the more impactful of the two. Which one is it? I even told Alyssa, don't let her say 50-50 or something like that. I let her say it. I knew it because, yeah. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. What are your clients, what are they seeing in their data overnight? Yeah. And during the day from poor sleep. So I'd like to actually, um, I'd like to discuss the yes um, because one of the first things we noticed when doing groups, like doing, you know, groups of like 10, 15 people at a time through like using a CGM and just seeing what helps, seeing what doesn't and gradually tightening their blood sugar levels up is it, you know, in a group that size, at least three people would say, usually more would say, I am sleeping so much better now. And we hadn't even got to the place where I was talking about sleep and how to improve your sleep. I'm sleeping so much better now. And these are people who didn't have diabetes. They just had, you know, uh, their glucose was, there was a wider range. You know, they were, their glucose levels were going up more with meals, like more up to 180. And now they were keeping it under 140. It was a little more even. They were eating more protein. And I think what we were finding is exactly how much stress erratic glucose levels causes your body. Because yeah, that, higher variability. Yeah, higher variability. Thank you. Um, and that having that all day is kind of like adding a little extra stress or a little, little here, another, here's another little shot of adrenaline. Here's another sc- school run. <laughs> here, get another yeah. child ready for school for daycare. And we know that the more of those we have, we get to the end of the day and sleep is harder because usually our afternoon cortisol level is higher. So that glucose dysregulation does disrupt sleep. And they had the instruction to pull back their evening meal. You know, don't eat two to three hours before bedtime. And of course, that we all know will really improve their deep sleep. They'll be able to sleep better. So all the things that we were doing to just tighten up their glucose levels, they were also helping them sleep. But, um, oh my gosh, poor sleep just trashes your blood sugar. Yeah. I mean, we, we have members that, you know, myself included, I've definitely seen it, you know, where it's like, I am having that the spikes all night, or like if I eat, you know, something too close to my bedtime and then like my, my readings are elevated all night. Then the next morning, okay, let me reach for that cup of coffee, um, you know, running on caffeine all day. And it's kind of like that rinse and repeat, repeat, you know, so what would be the, you know, you mentioned eating dinner earlier, and, you know, we want that cortisol level to be lower at night. Melatonin can come out. We can really get into that good quality sleep. But what would you say as far as, like, some major tips for, you know, getting lower, having lower variability in your glucose overnight mm-hmm. um, or during the day? Like, what are the main sleep tips that you recommend? The main sleep tips. Well, one is don't eat two to three hours before bedtime. It is. And we... I'm just going to say this as a layperson. It is like your liver set at whatever, eight or nine o'clock, just clocks out and says, 
I know there's work piling up, but I'm going home and I'll be back at 6 a.m. and I'll deal with all this then because you can get your blood sugar levels up. And for many of us, they just stay up all night until the liver just comes back on and the day shift comes back and says, okay, I'm here. I'll deal with all that. It, you just can't, we don't have the glucose tolerance at nighttime that we do during the daytime. So we've got to pull that back. That is the num- my number one strategy for improving sleep, for sure. You know, I'll, I'll add to that. One of the things that we've seen in our data that kind of tricks people is when they have uh, some alcohol with their dinner, that it actually causes a delay in the spike. So you might back up a few hours, but if you have maybe a couple glasses of wine or a cocktail with your meal, that spike from that meal might be delayed by two, three hours. Sometimes we've seen even longer. Yeah. So abstaining from the alcohol, we didn't, I don't know if I want to encourage day drinking, but you know, have that drink do. with lunch, maybe. When should I drink? drink I said lunch. Yes, lunch. lunch. Or happy hour. So the you've seen the same with your clients in terms oh, of yeah. alcohol? And, yeah. I, I will call it, like, we, oh, we can talk about this later, but I can actually, I'll flag sleep apnea. We can, you, this is a place where we actually flag sleep disorders because we're like, your food is fine, this, how are you sleeping? You need to get a sleep test, comes back, obstructive sleep apnea. They had no idea. But definitely, um, with the alcohol, what I see is I see a dip. I see hypoglycemia with alcohol. And because we know alcohol, and I'm not against alcohol. I just told you what I was going to have for my dinner party tonight. Right. Um, but alcohol is a toxin that your liver needs to deal with. And in lay terms, the liver isn't going to do anything, can't deal with your blood sugar until it deals with the alcohol. It's like, okay, you guys all have to wait because like you're at a restaurant. You're like, I can't do anything until we get rid of the rats. <laughs> the rats have to go. Everyone else can, is not going to eat until the rats are out of the restaurant. And so the liver just has to get the alcohol out of the system and then it can deal with it. And so, yeah, what you see is the d- either delayed spike, but then you get this hypoglycemia around two or three that wakes people up kind of hot and sweaty. And it's not, it's not a usually a clinical hypoglycemia. It's not below 70 necessarily, but it's, it's a definite dip. And it's often where your liver isn't, it can't manage gluconeogenesis. It it actually shuts down gluconeogenesis. Yes. Yeah. So again, it just, it's like, I am, I'm sorry, there's rats. I can't, we can't work under these conditions. Yes. (laughs) And for our listeners who haven't heard some of our previous episodes, gluconeogenesis is the liver's ability to take glycogen stores. A lot of your, your sugar is actually stored in the form of glycogen. Your liver can take that and convert it to glucose and send it into your bloodstream to, to fuel. That gets shut down oftentimes when you're drinking alcohol, which could cause a dip like you've seen with your clients. Let's um, shift gears a bit. I want to talk about two popular things. I know amongst our Cygnos staff and members that they've found is really helped with their blood sugar, and that's berberine and, and ACV, apple cider vinegar. Mm-hmm. So have you seen any effects with berberine, positive effects with your, your yes. client base? Yes. Uh, I've got a big question on this, but let, just tell me a okay. little bit about what, what you've seen. So before I was using it deliberately for blood sugar, I noticed it in a client who she came to me like, like many people and she had blood sugar issues and she had digestive issues. 
I put her on a CGM. We did a stool test. We're like, oh, she's got kind of a, she's got some overgrowth in there, both some bacteria and fungal things. And so one of the, one of the antimicrobials that we used for her that was helpful was a high uh, product high in berberine. And she alternated that with something else. And when she was using that berberine product, her blood sugar was, it was basically all shifted about 20 points or more down. She had great blood sugar control. She, I'm not doing anything different. My blood sugar is so much better. And I was like, oh, it's the berberine. And as soon as she stopped taking it, you know, a little bit later, about a week later, it popped back up. So we definitely see berberine improving things. And I think in the literature, and then I, since then I've, I've recommended some people try it when the diet wasn't working or um, they just weren't able to adhere to the diet. They wanted to try something more natural before they went to say metformin. And I, I see berberine having a very similar effect as metformin in terms of the degree with which it lowers blood sugar. That's, that's fascinating. We've seen the same thing in experiments that we've done internally. Here's my question, though, is there seems to be two camps on dosage and when to dose with berberine. There are those that say you should take it about 20 minutes prior to a meal, and then others that say that you should take it either like morning, evening, or both when you wake up and when you go to sleep. So I'm curious as to what your suggestions are with your I have with your only dosed it. Um like morning and evening, I haven't dosed it with meals at all. It doesn't require dosing with the meal to have its effect. That's, you know, I think that explains a lot. I, that's what I do. But I, I think a lot of people get turned off from berberine because they try it just for a few days by having it right before a meal. Then they say it doesn't work. But I, I think if you start taking it regularly, you, you might see a different effect. Of course, okay. everyone's different, but yeah, I, I think maybe uh, if you're if you're not seeing an effect taking it prior to meals, then maybe try it like mm -hmm. morning, evening, and see if uh, if that helps. Yeah. Uh, apple cider vinegar also has been a huge. Um, uh, we've seen a huge response in our own staff mm -hmm. experiments. Can uh, I back up up to berberine oh, yeah, once more? I am sorry, I just left berberine That's too right. early. Yeah, That's okay. there's a yeah, caution absolutely. with berberine. There is. There is. Um, and I, I should have pulled it up. There was a, um, a study not too long ago that came out, too. Well, berberine is an antimicrobial. It's a potent antimicrobial. It kills bacteria and fungal species in your gut very effectively. You can use berberine with people with SIBO. It kills. And you know what? You're always thinking, well, it only kills the bad guys. It doesn't only kill the bad guys. Mm. It kills a lot. And the study that I looked... Oh, I should have, I wish I had this on the tip of my tongue or pulled up, but there's a study that showed it actually does reduce the beneficial microbes in the gut as well, even if you're taking some probiotics along with it. So long-term use of, so you need to take that into account when you're dosing with berberine and deciding, you know, is, is the risk benefit profile appropriate for you? Is it, um, you know, with my clients who are, who need to do that anyways, it's, it's the perfect choice. I'm like, yeah, let's just use berberine for a couple of months and kill two birds with one stone. Um, but I, I want to watch out for it really mod changing the microbiome in a negative way by using it long-term. 
I did not know that. And that is a fascinating insight. If you get that study, please email it to us. We'll put it in the show notes so people can read up on it. But yeah, that is a great thing to point out. On to ACV. I can hear Karen actually sending the link right now as we're talking, <laughs> which is awesome. On top of it. She is, she is so on top of it. So ACV, apple cider vinegar, uh, is another thing uh, that we've tried internally that seems to, to work. Have you had similar success with, with apple cider vinegar? And if so, can you tell us about it? Yeah. Um, I think the literature on apple cider vinegar says the mechanism by which it helps is that it delays gastric emptying a bit, hmm. you know, much like protein, fat. And yeah. Um, so, so yes, you can, you can take a shot of apple cider vinegar. It helps delay gastric emptying, um, improves your um, blood sugar response to that meal that you're having afterwards. Yes. And when I'm working with people, I will often, you know, I put that in the list of, helpful things to do, but I tend to, rather than think of thinking of it as a, I'm going to take my shot of apple cider vinegar before my meal, I will say, so, you know, that salad, have that salad at the beginning of your meal. And I, the studies that I looked at, it wasn't necessarily apple cider vinegar. They were dosing with, because they were doing uh, placebo trials, um, they dosed with acetic acid. So it wasn't necessarily apple cider vinegar. It would be any acetic acid. So any vinegar, because acetic acid is the chemical that makes this vinegar. Um, so it, it, to, in my mind, it wouldn't necessarily have to be apple cider vinegar. It could be white vinegar, champagne vinegar, balsamic vinegar, red wine vinegar. So I generally lump it in together in a culinary perspective of if you're having that, you know, the steak, salad, and baked potato dinner, have the steak and or salad first. So you get that dose of vinegar and the fiber, polyphenols, protein. Um, but some people don't mind taking a shot of apple cider vinegar before their meals. And if they don't, then great. That can help. Yeah. I prefer to put it in a dressing, put it on a salad. Mm-hmm. I love that too, because it, uh, I'll use the vegan version of this saying it, it feeds two birds with one scone in that. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I should save that until you're finished with your water, but it's it's getting people to eat their their greens, their dark leafy greens as well before the meal. And we know from the there was two Cornell studies when people ate dark greens first before going to carbs, it did affect uh, yeah. glycemic response. So it's those two. I, I'm one who does not like to take that shot. Yeah. So it's great to know that it's, it's not limited to that. It's the, the acid component that's probably helping. Um, I have my own warning with ACV and that is if you're going to take that shot, you might want to use a straw because it can erode your tooth enamel. Yes. Yes. And, um, there's one other thing I was thinking of. I can't remember. Oh, it's, it's also, you can do other things other than the dressing. Another really neat idea we tested was, uh, an apple cider vinegar cocktail or mocktail, just using carbonated water, some ACV, some lime juice, um, some ginger is actually pretty helpful in offsetting that, that, um, sour acid Mm. note that, uh, that's might be something you enjoy a mocktail before your meal. Let's go one further. Okay. Let's add some aromatic bitters to that. 
to improve digestion because those bitters will stimulate peristaltic, you know, motility, stomach acid, bile secretion, enzyme, and now we've got a perfect aperitif. Wow, I feel a cocktail show coming on. <laughs> where Karen, we're definitely going to have you back, and we're going to actually, I think the three of us are going to make those cocktails and happy each hour. have our own variation. Body yes. Signals Happy Hour. <laughs> it's always happy hour on Body Signals, is what I like to say. Uh, we have time for one last little short topic, and that's polyphenols. So you didn't say what time we were invited tonight for the fondue dinner, but we're expecting some wine, which contains polyphenols. I'm curious to know the connection that you draw between polyphenols and glucose. Oh, yeah. So, you know, for listeners who don't know, these polyphenols are these these big compounds that often are pigments in our food. Um and they're things like resveratrol, curcumin, quercetin. They're types, those are types of polyphenols. And these really fall into the food as medicine category. Um, and what's interesting about these is they've, sometimes they're antioxidants. They can affect, they can reduce oxidative stress. So similar to the way some of these adaptogens are acting, um, but I was just reading, there's a recent study, and but there's a, a bulk of them that have looked at one category of polyphenols called anthocyanins. And anthocyanins are, um, they can be, they're usually the purple and blue. You're thinking blueberries, bilberries, um, but they can be red, pink, purple. So bilberries, choke cherries, elderberries, cranberries, raspberries, purple cabbage, radicchio, these are where you're going to get your polyphenol, the anthocyanins. And these studies have shown that by if you pre-dose, so some of these blind studies, they pre-dose with a pill that had these purple anthocyanins, and it reduced the glucose spike. It reduced the glucose spike in that meal when you took them before. And other studies done around that show that they have been able to reproduce that. They lower blood glucose, they lower lipids when you include them in your diet. Um, one study just with strawberries, they gave a drink. And I don't know they double blinded this. They must have used like a strawberry flavoring in one of them. But one with, with strawberries in it attenuated the postprandial inflammatory response. So with that, this is this is really key because Eating is an inflammatory situation. We almost always, when we eat, that's my timer, almost always when we eat, we have a bump in our inflammation levels. Some meals do this more than others. And this is, when I say inflammation, if you're measuring high, sensitiv high sensitivity C-reactive protein, IL-6 or TNF-alpha after meals. When you're using when you use the strawberry drink before meals, it reduced those inflammatory markers after a meal. So now we're seeing the link between inflammation and blood sugar, oxidative stress, and all those things. So when we think back to the polyphenols that we, we, we know, like resveratrol, curcumin, quercetin, we know they impact inflammation. We know they impact the immune system because that's what we use them for. Curcumin, the active ingredient in turmeric, is such a popular supplement for lowering inflammation. So you've got this really interesting connection between inflammation, blood sugar, insulin resistance, um, and 
simply adding colorful foods to your meals can do this. So, you know, I, I might, I must be in the wrong profession because I hate taking food away from people. (laughs) I just, I really try to find things to add to the diet. And if I can tell someone, eat some blueberries, throw some purple cabbage, like light coleslaw, let's eat more coleslaw, throw a bunch of purple cabbage in your coleslaw, add some radicchio to your salad. What a wonderful way to add polyphenols along with your vinegar and your salad to help mitigate that glucose spike, lower inflammation after your meal. It's, yeah, it's, it's a great food as medicine approach. And it goes along with a common saying we have on our show, which is eat the rainbow. If you do exactly. that, if you just make your plate as colorful as possible, including all of these things, you're probably going to get your polyphenols. Have a glass of red wine, maybe some chocolate at lunch with the red wine. <laughs> Uh, these are such amazing suggestions. Karen, Karen, thank you so much for joining us on Body Signals. If our listeners want to find you, where, where can they find out more about you? Yeah, my website, um, realfood-matters.net. Excellent. Well, thank you again for joining. Alyssa, thank you for co-hosting. You're always uh, an excellent co-host. So yeah. until our next episode, thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Body Signals. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe to our feed. Also, please share this episode with your friends. For those of you who are not yet Cygnos members, go to Cygnos.com, S-I-G-N-O-S.com, and use the code BODYSIGNALS, all one word, to get your 15% discount on Cygnos. We look forward to seeing you on our next episode of Body Signals.